With that, um, I did want to invite up our uh, speaker. I almost said guest speaker. He's not a guest. You guys, uh, uh, he doesn't really need an introduction. He's one of our elders, uh, Brother Sam Anik. Uh, he is currently working at Cal Baptist University as an academic advisor. He is here with his fiance, so say hi to Bethany uh, if you have a chance. But um, just wanted to invite up our brother. Uh, little by little, he's going to be up here more and more. You're going to see him. So just let's give him a warm hand, Brother Sam. Good morning. Thank you very much. Uh, well, as Pastor Roy said, I'm Sam, um, and really honored to be able to give the word of God uh, today, this morning. But before uh, doing that, will you pray with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we can call you our Father. Um, Lord, what do we have that you have not given uh, to us? Lord, we don't have anything. Um, we that we, off, that we have on our own, but we have everything in your son. Um, thank you for your son. Thank you for the riches that we have in him. Um, thank you that our confidence and our boast is him and our eyes are fixed upon him and you give us all that we need um, to, to live lives that are pleasing to him. Uh, would you speak through your word? Um, speak through me, um, speak through your word by your spirit. Uh, would you build up your church uh, would you build us up, Lord, that we may live lives that are worthy of you and that honor you? Um, would your spirit work, Lord? Apart from you, uh, we can do nothing, but with you, we can do all things. Um, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So uh, this morning, our scripture passage is um, in Second Peter, uh, verses 1, 16 to 21. So I'll give you a moment to, um, to turn there but it will be on the screen behind us as well. All right, starting in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have this prophetic, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you do well to pay attention to, as a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, uh, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. So uh, we're continuing this morning through our um, study through Second Peter. Um, and before getting into the passage at hand, I just wanted to give us a little bit of a review of where we've been. Um, so if you did miss the last two weeks, um, we've been going through Second Peter the last two weeks. Um, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to it as, as we march through um, Second Peter, it's gonna be really important to have the context in front of us so that we can really understand what God would have to say to us. Um, just by way of brief review, um, so we have learned so far that Peter is um, writing from a Roman prison, um, awaiting his execution, um, and knowing that his death is imminent, it's coming up um, soon, he wants to make sure that believers are standing firm in their faith. Um, 
in light of the, the days, the, the persecution and the false teaching that is happening in the time. So one of the main themes that we see in the book is that the true knowledge of Christ is the basis for our right living um, as Christians. So one of the reasons, the, one of the main, um, I guess, occasions for his, for his writing was that the, there was a lot of opposition facing the church. Um, so one of the places of opposition were false teachers. So they were coming in and distorting the true knowledge of Christ um, and trying to lead the church into immoral ways of living. Um, so in the first 15 verses, as we saw the last couple weeks, um, Peter is really emphasizing how the, a true knowledge of Christ, his saving work for us and all the blessings that we have in him through that, um, is really the foundation for his command to us to live a holy life. Um, so through the saving work of Christ, um, we receive the promises of God and we are given the power to live um, a holy life. So we saw last week how the true knowledge of Christ, um, in verse one, we obtained a righteous standing before God. In verse two, we have grace and peace multiplied to us. And verse three, we have all, been given all that we need for life and for godliness, to live the type of life that God has called us to. And then in verse four, through the knowledge of Christ, we get to be partakers of every single promise given to us in scripture. So we can claim every promise that's given to us in scripture. Um, and these are the catalysts by which we are to live a holy life. And then in verses five to eight, um, Peter shows how the blessings that we have are the motivation for us to put on um, the godly character that he would have for us. So virtues like steadfastness, self-control, brotherly affection, love, um, and, and the other um, virtues mentioned as well. So, so far in this letter, the knowledge of Christ has been very, very important, and that's what Peter is really wanting to emphasize. So through this knowledge, um, we get to enjoy all of the blessings that we have in Christ um, through knowing him and knowing what he's done for us. So um, this knowledge is really important, and so this is the foundation um, for our lives as believers. And so when it's coming under attack, the next thing, logical next thing that Peter is going to want to do is defend that foundation that's coming under attack. So he's given us the, the what, now he's wanting to defend that what. And so that all was by way of review. So that was the first 15 verses. Um, and so now the passage at hand, so um, 16 to 21. So in our section today, um, the main point is that Christ's authority is the basis for our trust in him and our obedience to him. So if you're just to, to think with me for a moment, if someone were to give you some amazing news, what would it be that gives them credibility in your eyes? So for example, if we think of a, a scenario where a man came up to you and said that he was a king from a foreign nation and that he has a vast wealth and he wants to share his inheritance with you, what would it be that gives you, um, that gives him credibility in your eyes? That, that he, how would you come to trust him? Well, 
it would be um, it would be helpful if you would first confirm that yes, this man really is a king, so that you could know that he could do what he said. So it would be helpful. Maybe you could Google his name, and you would see pictures of him pop up. Um, you could see him next to celebrities and other um, rulers of foreign nations. You could Google him and see his net worth and see that he does have the ability, he does have an inheritance. Maybe you could read stories about how he's been generous to others and it's not beyond his ability to be able to do this. So all of these things together would be things that could give you credibility to be able to believe this man's offer and to act upon his offer. So. The same thing for if someone were to give you a command, if someone were to tell you to do something, you would want to see some sort of symbol of their authority. So it'd be very different if someone gave you a command and showed you a real police badge versus a toy police badge. The way you're gonna respond to those people, very different. So that's kind of what we're looking at today. Um, in a similar way, how we see Christ's authority is gonna determine how we respond to him, both in his commandments and his promises. So Peter's already laid the foundation of his, his promises and commandments. Um, now he's wanting to establish Christ's authority that's coming under attack. Because the authority of Christ is the foundation for being able to trust his promises and to obey him as we ought to obey him. If we have any uncertainty about Christ, who he is and what he's done, it's going to breed a lukewarmness in our life and even, it could even lead to people turning away from Christ. So that's what we're looking at today. But when we see him for who he is, when we see his authority, we will take his commands seriously, we will take his promises seriously and live as he calls. So in our section today, uh, chapter one, verses 16 to 21, Peter is really doing this, working to establish Christ's authority with the end of securing our confidence in him. And the way that he does that is he calls on three sources of, um, I guess, three confirmations to be able to establish this credibility. Uh, first is the witness, the eyewitness of the apostles, uh, the second is the testimony of God the Father, and the third is the testimony of the scriptures. So we'll take a look at all three this morning. And so first is the confirmation from the apostles. And so we're gonna be focusing um, on verses 16 to 18. So if you'd wanna just keep 2 Peter um, 1 open, we're gonna be looking at 16 to 18 first. So in the beginning of the book, Peter introduces himself as an apostle. So in, in introducing himself as an apostle, he has a certain level of authority and credibility himself. So an apostle means one who is sent out. So one who witnessed the ministry and the resurrection of Christ and was charged to go pass on what they saw to others. So what they saw, what they witnessed was an eyewitness account. So it wasn't like they were the people at the end of a game of telephone um, trying to 
put together what they saw, they saw it themselves and they're passing it on themselves. So what they saw about and, and heard about Christ, they can be trusted, um, their eyewitness account. And they do have great, um, great credibility in telling us um, what, what is true. So what specifically does Peter say that they were witnesses of? So looking at verse 16, it says, the power in coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and being witnesses of his majesty. So on, at first glance, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, um, but the word coming in verse 16, it's a very special word, and it's a word that talks about a king coming in glory. So a king like returning to his kingdom after being victorious in battle. So Peter and the apostles, what they, what they saw was a demonstration of Jesus's kingly power. And so it's almost like he and the other apostles were bystanders in a parade seeing Jesus, the true king, coming into his kingdom um, after being victorious. And also, uh, Peter mentions his majesty or his glory um, at the end of verse 16. And this is a, a word that points specifically to the d divinity of Christ, um, the glory that he has as the son of God, the second person of the Trinity. So the first thing that Peter wants to do to establish his authority is to highlight um, Christ as the divine ruler, our divine ruler. And so if you think about it, Peter and the apostles, they saw Jesus do a lot of things. They lived with him for three years. They saw him die and rise from the dead. And he could have used a lot of examples to highlight this kingly authority, but he chooses one in particular. And he chooses um, the instance where Jesus took Peter, James, and John to the top of the mountain to transfigure before them. I'm sure, every, I'm sure most of us are pretty familiar with this passage, um, but uh, I think it'd be a good idea to go ahead and read it. So if you wouldn't mind flipping over to Matthew 17. Um, this isn't a couple of the Gospels, but we'll look at the one in Matthew 17. Um, look in at verses 1 to 8. I'll give you a moment to turn there. And it's also going to be on the screen behind us as well. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared, before, uh, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If, you're, if you wish, I will make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So no doubt this was an incredibly memorable experience for Peter. And it comes easily to mind when he's trying to establish Christ's authority. 
Um, so what was it that was really happening at the, at the Mount of Transfiguration? Well, Jesus was allowing the three apostles, the three disciples at that time, to see behind the curtain to see the true nature of Jesus as the Son of God. Uh, Philippians 2, 6-7 says, um, who, referring to Christ, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So Christ, being the Son of God, shares all the attributes and nature as God the Father. So he is just as much God as the Father and has the fullness of God's being in himself. And when Christ took on human form, in a way his true nature was, was hidden, um, although he never stopped being fully God. But in this instance, Jesus kind of took these three disciples behind the curtain to see this is who I really am. This is the, the glory that I had before the foundation of the world. And in the Old Testament law, it required at least two to three witnesses to establish a charge. Um, so if two or three people were able to say this actually happened, it was um, enough evidence to say, yeah, we can be certain that it actually happened. Um, so these three apostles were witnesses to Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior of the world and our Savior. And because these apostles weren't following myths about Jesus, um, we and the readers of Peter can be confident that what we've been passed down is accurate and is true and that we are believing in the truth and we do have good grounds for our faith. So, so far, Peter's established that they were credible witnesses of the divine nature of Jesus. So that's just so far of what we've seen. And the reason why that would be so important is if we refer back to the example from the beginning of the foreign king who was offering an inheritance. It's very important to have that credibility of saying, of someone who is a credible witness saying, yes, these things are so. This man is legit. He can be trusted. Um, if we have that, we're more likely to believe in the king's claims and act on it. So anytime we receive news that is out of the ordinary, we want to make sure that it's coming from a person who is credible. And so why would it be so important to establish Jesus' divinity? Why would Peter do that? Why would he go there? Because if Jesus were just another person, how could we, how could we possibly walk in his promise to save us from our sins? We know because of what the apostles have passed down to us, is Jesus is God. Um, and because he died in a real time, in a real place in history, your sins and my sins can be forgiven and are forgiven if we're trusting in him, and we can have eternal life. And we can have that confident expectation that I will have eternal life, I will not have punishment in the future. And so this is the gospel message that's passed down to us. And if we're believers, this is what we're rooting everything, we're basing everything in our lives on this. So it's very important that we would have that firmly established. So as believers, if we're believing in Christ this morning, we can be assured that this is true. Um, and if you wouldn't consider, consider yourself a believer this morning, we're very happy that you're here. 
Um, and if you would like to know what this means for you, um, please talk to someone after the service. Um, if you came with someone, you can talk with them, you can talk with Pastor Roy or myself, we'd be happy to talk with you. But this is the, the first point. So the witness of the apostles confirms that our knowledge of who Christ is is true. It's not based on a myth so that we can walk confidently in his promise to save us. So point number two, so the confirmation from the Father. So confirmation number one was the witness of the apostles. Confirmation number two is from the Father. So let's take a look at verses 17 and 18. Um, and this is still speaking of the same instance on the mountain. Uh, verse 17 For when, we went, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice borne by him, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. So he's still speaking of um, the same instance on the, Mount of on the Mount of Transfiguration. So when it says Jesus, um, he being Jesus, received honor and glory from the Father. What does that, what is he talking about? What does Peter mean? Um, so Jesus didn't receive glory as if it wasn't his. It was already his. Um, but what Peter is saying here is that um, the Father is affirming the glory that Jesus already had um, since the beginning of the world. So we know that because of John 17:5. Um, the Father is allowing Jesus to be seen for who he truly is um, by Peter, James, and John um, through this, this display of his glory on the mountain. So in a way, Jesus isn't honoring himself. Um, the Father chose to honor him in front of the disciples um, by letting his glory be seen and um, saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, um, to show that he is the son of God. He is an authority. And there is a, a special credibility when someone else is willing to vouch for you and you're not vouching for yourself. And so um, I, this reminded me of um, being a teenager and applying for jobs when you don't have any work experience, when you're like 15 or 16 years old, and the only people that you can think to write as a reference would be like your mom or your dad or your friend, and that doesn't give you a lot of credibility in the eyes of an employer. It's just like, okay, um, it's like writing yourself as a, as a reference. But when I was 18, I really wanted to work at Starbucks. I really wanted a job at Starbucks. I thought it was like a really cool place to work. Um, and so I applied, I, or I filled out an application, and um, there was a family friend who worked in upper management at Starbucks over like a lot of the Riverside branches. And so I didn't know, but he had put in a couple calls um, before I went and dropped off an application, and lo and behold, guess who gets a call back? Um, me. And um, so it was the, it was that someone else, someone in a position of authority, was willing to vouch for me. That gave me credibility in the eyes of Starbucks, and I did get the job. Um, so in the same way, 
the Father is audibly bearing witness to who Jesus is, giving him the stamp of approval that, yes, this is my son. He is in special relationship with me. And so when, when the Father calls the Son, the Son of God, um, what, does, what does that necessarily mean? I know we hear that a lot, but what does it mean? It means that Jesus um, is, uh, it means that he has all of the essential characteristics and the true nature of God. So as we see in Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So calling Jesus the son of God is another way to say he's made of the same stuff, so to speak, um, and that he is also in a special relationship with God the Father. So God the Father testifying to this about Jesus is the ultimate credibility. And there are, there are only two times when God the Father speaks audibly to say, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Um, one is at the, his baptism by John, and the second time is here. So it's very rare um, that this happens. The, the voice from the Father in heaven also testifies that he's well pleased with Jesus. So all that Jesus taught us about himself, about us, about our salvation, about living a life that is pleasing to him is completely affirmed by God the Father in this moment, everything that he teaches. So God the Father is essentially saying, yes, everything he says perfectly represents me. So Peter wants his listeners to be assured that everything that they've been taught about Christ is sure and true, since it is the foundation, like we had talked about, of our holy living. Now this is, this is an authority that none of the false teachers could even get close to matching or rivaling, rivaling at all. So to have the father give his wholehearted approval of the son, um, as witnessed by the apostles, is it should give us a great confidence about what we've been taught. It's not necessarily just a, an exercise in right doctrine as though we're trying to just check all of our theological boxes. Um, Peter is so adamant to, to defend the character and authority of Jesus because what we believe about him determines how we respond to him when, we, when he speaks to us. So, a lot of times as believers, um, we don't openly reject the authority of Christ. We would never openly reject the authority of Christ. But what we really believe about Jesus is revealed in how we respond to him when he speaks to us. So when he gives us a promise or a commandment, do we, do we take it as a suggestion? Because if we are, we're not giving him the authority that he deserves. Do we, when he gives us the commandment, do we treat it as though it was coming from someone with authority or do we treat it as someone showing us a toy police badge? So what we, how we respond to Jesus really shows what we think about his authority. So if we just take a couple of examples. So in John 6, 37 and 40, Jesus says, 
all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So how do we do, so you and I, how do we do in taking Jesus at his word and saying, yes, you're an authority, I trust you. So we can doubt in subtle ways. So if we feel sinful and unworthy and we run away from Christ instead of to him, um, we can subtly doubt that what he says here is true, that anyone who comes to him in repentance and faith, he won't cast us out. Um, Sometimes we can lie, we can believe the lies of, oh, I can only approach God when I am worthy, after I've gotten myself cleaned up. Uh, you know, I did, the, did this really bad thing, I can't approach him until I've got myself cleaned up. That's doubting his word and that's not actually trusting in the authoritative word that he's given to us. So if we find ourselves being doubtful or fearful about death and judgment, it shows that we're not really fixing our eyes on the promise that he's given that everyone who looks on him in faith, he will raise us up on the last day. So the, the words that we have in scripture from Jesus are words not just from a man, but from the son of God. And they're just as much to the, the readers as to us as well. And we can take them as if he spoke them directly to you. So we can boldly trust his promises um, because of who it is that made them. So one way that we can honor him and one way that we can respond to the word of God this morning is when he tells us something, um, when he gives us a promise that we can, we can trust it. We can take it to the bank and we can bank our lives on it. Similarly, what about when Jesus gives us a commandment? So he gives us a lot of commandments. There's a lot of commandments in, in the Bible. So for, for example, one of them, um, just taking one, is in Matthew 16, 14 to 15. Uh, Jesus says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive your trespasses. So commands like these, how do we respond when we hear to them? Um, do we take that as, oh, you know, that's a good suggestion. Oh, let me think about that. Let me see if I agree with that first. Or do we say, yes, I, I will obey that because Jesus, you are the son of God. You are the authority. Yes, I believe that and I will obey that. Who we see him to be has a great effect on how we respond to his words. So my challenge to you and to myself as well, um, definitely have been convicted by this passage, is when we hear Jesus' words, let's respond in a way that shows the authority of who he, who he truly is. All right, so the third point is the last confirmation. So the confirmation, um, so the father confirms the, the credibility of Jesus, who is to be trusted and to be obeyed. 
Um, we saw the confirmation from the apostles, and the third confirmation comes from the scriptures. And that we will see in verses 19 to 21. So looking at verse 19, Peter says, and we have this prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So here when, when Peter says the prophetic uh, word, it's referring to the scriptures. So in the context, um, most directly the Old Testament scriptures. So in a nutshell, what Peter is saying is that the testimony from God the Father, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, he is the son of God, that was witnessed by the apostles, they saw and heard this, is the same thing that the Old Testament is also saying about Jesus. So all of these confirmation sources are saying the same thing. So the testimony of the Father, the testimony of the Scripture, um, and the witness of the apostles are all saying the same thing. So when we come to the written Scriptures, we can have confidence that they are on equal par as if we have heard, have heard God speak from heaven. So God's audible revelation, when it does come to us, it doesn't tell us something new. It reaffirms what's already been written um, in his word from long, long ago. And we can see this um, in the, if we go back into the Matthew passage, by the fact that Moses and Elijah were present there on, uh, on top of the mountain with Jesus and the three apostles. So Moses represents the law, or the first five books of the Old Testament, and Elijah represents the prophets. And so when, when Jewish people refer to the whole Old Testament law, they call it the whole Old Testament scriptures, they call it the, the law and the prophets. So these two men represent the whole Old Testament. And so their presence on the mountain is basically a visual representation that God the Father from heaven and the scriptures from Genesis all the way to Malachi are all saying the same thing about Jesus, who he is and what he has done. So all of these sources are agreeing together. And this is what we have passed along to us from Peter and the other apostles. In John 5, 39, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because in them you think that you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. So from the beginning to the end of scripture, Jesus is the son of God who died for our sins. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking of examples and um, one thing that came to mind were these stories of people who were at the time chastised for believing or saying something but then in the end were proven right. So one, um, one example that I thought of were the engineers in the spacecraft, uh, the Challenger in the 1980s. And I was a little reluctant to 
do this example just because I don't know if half the people may know about the story of the challenger. Okay, some people know. But um, if you don't know, it was a, a very tragic event. Um, so it was during the space race of the 1980s um, when NASA basically ignored a group of engineers that were warning that there might be a possible malfunction in the spacecraft because of cold temperatures. And tragically, they actually were right. And um, if you Wikipedia it after, you can read a little bit more about it. But they had a high level of credibility after the fact. And they, um, they were given lots of interviews and they were given a lot of credibility for what they were saying because they were right in the end unfortunately. So in a similar way, scripture has a high level of credibility because what it said from the beginning about the facts of Christ, who Christ is, um, was the same and they, the scriptures were proven right in the end about what they said about Christ. So what we see in the Old Testament, prophecy after prophecy in the Old Testament is proven and fulfilled when Jesus comes to earth and um, lives and dies a perfect life. So not only did the apostles see Christ's glory firsthand and hear the Father bear witness that Jesus is his son, but the scriptures testified beforehand that all of these things are true. So the apostles were not following a myth when they passed down what they did about Jesus. It, was written down long before, um, before their testimony. And then if we look at verse 19, um, Peter inserts a, a really interesting, like a parenthetical thought about scripture and it, it provides some, some helpful insights. He says, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So Peter compares the scriptures to a light that shines in a dark place. And that, I think, probably immediately reminds a lot of us of a very famous passage in Psalm 119, verse 105. Um, your word is a light to my path and a lamp to my feet. So why would we need a lamp and a light um, because without it, we would be in darkness. In Ephesians 6.12, Peter refers to this world as the present darkness. God is light, his word is light, and everything outside of that is darkness. And so without his word, we have no hope of walking in what is good, what is true, what is lovely. So for us, where do we go for guidance in this dark world when we're confused, when we're uncertain. There's a lot of uncertainty um, in our world. Do we run to the wisdom of the world or do we run to the word of God? What about our Bible reading habits? So what do our Bible reading habits say about how much we value the word of God and its guidance? I'm here to tell you that it's a desperation and not necessarily discipline that will drive us each morning or each evening to the word of God. So if we're not in God's word, 
it's not as much a, la a, a sense of, la of lack of discipline. It's more, um, quite honestly, arrogance, where we're saying that I don't have any need for that. I don't need to be reminded of that. I don't need to be guided by God's wisdom. I don't need to be reminded of his promises. I know that for myself, I'm very quick to forget, very quick to forget God and his ways. And so just like I need food and sustenance every day, I need to come to the word of God. Peter says that we will do well. You will do well to pay attention to the scriptures. So I am here to encourage us, to encourage you, to encourage me. Um, if, if, by, if daily Bible intake, whether through reading or hearing, is not a daily habit for you, let's, let's take small steps to make it one. So uh, as Pastor Roy says, find a time and place. So that can be in the morning, it can be at lunch, in the evening, in the car, can start small, a couple minutes a day. Um, you can get a reading plan. Get on a reading plan with uh, other people in a D group. Um, we are in desperate need of the word of God um, and it is a, a desperate need that we have. Um, but interestingly, as, as uh, Peter goes on, he shows that this is a temporary need. It's not one that we'll need forever. Peter says that the word of God is like a lamp that's shining in the darkness until. So until, until when? It's a, he continues, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Uh, he says that in verse 19. So the day dawning is a reference to the end of time. So just like the sun sets at the end of the day to show that the day is over, there is an appointed end to all things. Um, and at this point, the morning star will rise. And so the morning star is a reference to Jesus. So uh, Jesus is called the same thing. He's called the bright and morning star in Revelation twenty-two sixteen. So that's how we know that that is talking about Jesus. So... Um, the morning star rising, it talks when Jesus returns to bring salvation to us, to, to those who are waiting for him. So we do, right now, we do need the word of God for guidance. Um, but the day will come when all of his promises are fulfilled and we'll see him face to face um, and we, will not, we won't need the word of God any longer. So in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve, Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So even though we may not need scripture in heaven, let's not think that we don't need it today, uh, because we do. We're not in heaven quite yet, so we need it. And then if we go to the next verse, uh, verses 20 and 21, Peter kind of comes back to the main point and he's showing why we can trust the, what the scriptures teach us about Christ. He says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when he says prophecy here, um, prophecy just means words from God, um, words from God himself 
that reveal his character and his purposes. So in one sense, all of scripture is prophecy because it meets that criteria. So, so, but what is, what is Peter really saying here? Um, he's saying that God's word, it doesn't come from the mind of man. It's not people's own viewpoint. It's not their own opinion. We're not having the opinions of John and of Peter and of Paul um, because the viewpoints and opinions of people can be and often are wrong. Neither does prophecy come from the will of man. So it doesn't come from, oh, I think this is the best way. I think that is the best way. It comes from God. We often are self-seeking in what we say to be true. Um, So thank God that scripture doesn't come from man. Because the only way that we can um, can be confident that scripture is true is if it comes from God since God is the source of all truth. Now, God does use human instruments to communicate that truth. So he uses their voices to speak it, uh, their vocabulary, their personalities, but every word that is written in scripture, even though it did come from the pen or the mouth of man, um, it is from God. I love how one pastor, he said it, he said, men lifted their sails but the spirit is what blew the wind and carried the ship along. So I really like that, that image. But um, so false teaching, in contrast to, to, real, uh, to the true teaching, it comes from the will, the will of man and from the mind of men who wish to distort and who wish to, to do their own will. But the, writer, the writers of scripture were carried along by the Spirit and wrote only what God wanted to have written so that the testimony of Scripture, just like the testimony of the apostles, can be trusted. So its source, its origination, it's all from God. So the truth of the Scriptures, the the truths of Christ in Scripture can be trusted since it's from God. So any verse of scripture can be relied upon just as much as if we heard God himself speak from heaven. I like uh, the way Wayne Grudem puts it. He says, to disbelieve or disobey any word of scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God himself. So Peter shows the scriptures, the Father, and the testimony of the apostles all can be trusted and they all say the same thing about Christ. And scripture, it doesn't come from man, but it comes from God. So going back, so why is it important to affirm that what we know of Christ is from God? Peter is very adamant um, in writing this letter that it is to make us certain because uncertainty regarding the things of Christ, or sorry, certainty regarding the things of Christ is the utmost, is of the utmost importance for believers. So as we've been saying, um, I think that the title of this sermon series is, um, what is it? What's that? 
No, the, like the, whole, the, the whole broad, the broader picture is having certainty in Christ in light of the dark days that we live in, something like that. <laughs> so that's why he's wanting us to have such a firm foundation um, because scripture is very clear that persecution, persecution, false teaching, deception, they're very common for us. These things are not exceptions to the rule. Um, we shouldn't be surprised when these things come. When we're persecuted for what we believe, and that might look a little bit different for us, it might, be, it might look like being made to look foolish um, by coworkers, by people thinking that, oh, you're ignorant or you're foolish or you're bigoted, something like that. So that's what it might look like for us to be persecuted. Or if our faith is challenged by the newest philosophy that, that comes around, the newest teaching by someone with eloquent, eloquent ideas, um, this, is, this is what it might look for us to, to face persecution in this world. And Paul is really clear in Acts 14.22 that it's through many hardships, many hardships that we will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And one of Satan's number one tools against us is deception. He wants to deceive. He wants to make things unclear. He wants us to not have strong footing. That's his number one tool against us. So he wants to keep us uncertain in the promises of God because that's a way that he'll make us tepid in keeping his commandments. That's his number one strategy against us because it's only when we're certain that we can live bold and confident lives of faith-filled obedience to him. So this is why Peter is writing. This is why Peter gives us this firm foundation, um, because of Christ, we have all of the things that he mentioned in the first 15 verses of the, of the chapter. We have obtained a faith by which we become righteous with the righteousness of Christ. We have everything that we need for, lives of, for life and godliness. Every single one of God's promises belongs to us, and we are called to participate in his divine nature by putting on virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. So what we've heard, it can be trusted. So what would it look like for us to respond this morning as if this wasn't a suggestion, but the authoritative word of God that we all must obey. So to conclude this morning, um, if you are a believer in Christ, you have every reason to have confidence that what you believed about Christ is true. And if you're not a believer this morning, again, very glad that you're here, you can be sure that Christ is worthy of your trust. He is the eternal son of God, the king, and he came and died for our sins so that he returns to judge the world concerning sin. We will not face punishment, but have eternal life. His authority demands our trust and allegiance, 
and we have this sure confirmation from the witness of the apostles, from God the Father, and from the scriptures, which are the very word of God. So let's, we can close in a time of prayer and reflection. Uh, we can invite the, the praise team back up. Just have a couple of, prepared a couple of questions just to, just to maybe prompt us to respond this morning to what we've read in, in God's word today. Maybe you can focus on one, focus on two, whatever God is calling you to, to respond to. So for us who would consider ourselves, who would claim Christ, who would say that we are believers, do you find yourself uncertain about your security of salvation? Do you find yourself unmoved by the thought of your salvation? Is the wonderful richness of your salvation not something that you think about often? Maybe we can take a look at how we might not be taking Christ at his word as we ought. We have every reason to trust his authority and that we can have confidence in him. Our faith rests upon him and not us. If there's anyone this morning that hasn't put their trust in Jesus, um, are you ready to trust in Christ for salvation and to commit yourself to him? You can do that this morning. And back to us who are, who are followers of Christ, maybe we can take a look at how do I respond to Christ when he gives me a commandment? Does the way I respond to him show his authority. If I'm not, then why? And how can I respond to him? And finally, how are you and how am I, how are we going to be exposed to the word of God in these dark times, in this dark world, while we wait for him? It is the lamp that we need. So let's spend some time in prayer and reflection on these.
Um, Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for your word. Um, thank you for, for speaking to us through your word to, to first and foremost to give us confidence in you, um, that your promises to us are true, that we can, we can base everything on the fact that you have given us salvation, um, that you have counted us righteous in you, um, that we have hope, that we look forward to a life spent with you, um, that there is no condemnation, um, that every single promise that is in your word, um, all the amazing promises, we can believe as though you have made them to us in specific because you have. Help us to trust in your authority to be able to keep your promises so that we may listen to you and trust in your authority and to do what you say by faith and by your power. May we be people who confidently trust in your word and who are diligent also in keeping your commandments. May we not be a people who see these things as at odds. Um, would you present present us as a church mature in you? Would you help us to hold fast to your word and to your promises and to see just how in desperate need we are of your word and to show how much of a desperate need we have by coming to your word, by prioritizing your word, both individually and together, reading your word on our own and together and talking about your word and and letting it be our guide as we're trying to navigate this world. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your presence here. Um, God, we thank you. If there are any people here that haven't put their trust in you, I pray that you would um, help them to keep asking questions, keep coming back, um, to, to see that you are worthy of their trust. Uh, we give you thanks, Heavenly Father, that you are present. We give you thanks for your guidance of your word. Help us to be a people who respond to it um, and to honor you in the way that we respond to it. In Jesus' name.